And welcome back to another episode of Caught Looking, a baseball podcast hosted by myself, Max Greenfield, and my co-host, Ryan Garcia. Ryan, it's a little depressing just given what's happened recently, but how was your week? My week? I mean, I had a pretty good week. Like, you know, the Rumble Ponies actually just clinched their postseason berth. Um, I think it was just actually today. Um, they had gone on like an insane win streak while I was in the in the station. So I got to see some fun minor league baseball. Big, you know, big fan of minor league baseball, especially double A. That's the Eastern League is very fun. Eastern um, League is very fun. Yeah, they've got so, you got to see Somerset versus the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. And considering the Rumble Ponies, all the talent they have now with the, after the deadline, and you know, just the talent the Yankees always seem to have at double A, it's gonna be a really good series. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll see if Ben Drew Rice versus Drew Gilbert. But... Yeah, if Ben Rice versus Drew Gilbert, that's a reason to go watch Christian Scott versus Drew Thorpe would be like one of the best pitching matchups. You, you like in terms of talent level and like just dominance at the level, that's gonna be one of the most fun pitching matches you can watch in all of pro baseball, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, it, definitely the mood was dampened by the Dominguez stuff, which is what we're going to open with. So, yeah. Yeah. As a as of just about, I would say about an hour or so ago, uh, Jason Dominguez, the Yankees, you know, pride prospect, prized prospect, I should say, uh, got a UCL tear and will need Tommy John surgery. Um the bad news is that obviously he will miss the rest of the season um, and will miss a chunk of 2024. It is yet to be determined how long. The good news is in the long run, Dominguez is fine. Like he's still 20. Position players relatively have no long-term after effects from Tommy John surgery. I mean, we've seen plenty of them come back from it and within the same year they come back still be effective. Um you know, Glaber Torres hit 20-something home runs the year he came back from it. Bryce Harper has had a 134 WRC plus this year. They also came back in five months, which is crazy. But, you know, it, it's – I know it all seems doomy now, but I, I, I think if you're the Yankees, it's it sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Like, I don't know if you adjust your plans at all or anything like that, especially in the short run, but, um, you know, I would feel okay. Like he'll be fine. Like he's still 20. He's going to recover from this, but it's definitely a, a major blow because in his eight games, I mean, he was just lighting the world on fire. Just, just absolutely killing it. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it, it's disappointing for the sense of like, now the reason to watch the, Yan like you had to watch the Yankees because of Jason Dominguez. Absolutely. Like that's how I felt. Um, Like I, you you couldn't if you're a Yankee fan you were like I I don't want to watch the team I hate this team whatever Brian Brian Cashman boycotting you turned on your TV when Jason Dominguez got called up like and I'm not even sitting here to like antagonize people no no I've seen people who are like I'm not watching the Yankees who are like oh my God Jason Dominguez hit a home run like you you opened I thought up you your, weren't watching yeah you opened your Yes app you you dusted off your Yes subscription you you turned on your TV. And you immediately tuned in for that Jason Dominguez at bat. And when Jason Dominguez hit that home run off of Justin Verlaine, that shit was dope. Now, it sounds like I'm giving a eulogy for a dead guy. So I don't want to, like, keep – I don't want to, like, over-romanticize the, the, the whole situation. He's going to be back soon. Like, most of the time he'll miss will be minor – not even minor. It'd be off-season time, right? Like, so I'd be yeah. a little more concerned of, like, he was in AAA. He just gets hurt. And it's like, all right, so now we have inconclusive AAA data because it's like, what? It would have been three weeks at that point. Right. Yeah. And he's hurt and we're not going to see him until May. So we're probably not going to get him at the major league level until September. So or like August or something, because you want to build him back up and you want to let him play in triple A. The 
kind of the easy thing about this, which is different from Glaber's situation, because obviously you're going to think back to Glaber when you think Yankee prospects, Tommy John, is Jason Dominguez already debuted. Jason Dominguez was probably going to waltz into a center field job out of spring training. The second he's healthy, the Yankees are going to throw him back out there. So it is what it is. It sucks. It, it feels like more so of the delay of his career, but thankfully he's 20 and not like came up at 24. Like this would be more devastating for Austin Wells than it would for B, for Jason Dominguez. Is that is that a bad take? I, I don't know. No, I think that's true. Like I think, again, the long run is like he's 20. He will recover from this and he will be fine. Guys with his tools. I, I hate to sound like like this, but like the five-tool player. Dominguez is a five-tool player. He does everything you want at a very good clip makes very solid swing decisions hits the crap out of the baseball makes enough contact um you know he's very very quick you know he runs well in the outfield i'm still not super sure he's a center fielder but he didn't look overmatched out there in any of the balls that i saw and normally he's got a very good arm the the report was that he basically started like you said it really started to hurt in houston and then he went and approached the Yankees with it on Wednesday. Um, and essentially, from the sound of that, is this was more of a when, not if type injury. Um, this isn't like he just did something funky and it tore. It sounded like this was just like slowly grading out over time that his elbow was just getting more and more sore and he was maybe not doing the best arm care or anything like that. You never know. It can also, it, it can just happen, but it sounds like this was more of a, uh, war of attrition type injury, I guess I should say. Um, but obviously a major, major, major blow for just the watchability of the Yankees for the rest of the season. Um, the question that I think most people are going to have is, well, how does this affect their offseason plans? I think the Yankees were going to acquire an outfielder no matter what, like in some capacity, they were going to do that. This really only affects things if you think that they should acquire two. Now, that kind of depends on how you feel about Everson Pereira. Uh, personally, big fan of Pereira. I know he has struggled to start the year, but you and I both said, like, if he calls, if he gets called up, or when he gets called up, we should say, he's probably going to be pretty bad. Like, just the nature of his profile. I also like, dude, if you're a Yankee fan, you're like already saying that Everson Pereira can't be the opening day outfielder. I mean, you can't you can't sit here and say you're for the kids movement. Like, I, I I'm sorry, I don't know. I just like I I get like irritated thinking about like, oh, this guy is 100 already not a major league outfielder. Like, dude, he's 22 and you've seen like 10 games of him, right? Like, I in 2016, you would if you were to rank the most impressive position players in that quote unquote baby bomber core, which is like Greg Bird. I guess you throw Tyler Austin in there because he debuted that year. Gary Sanchez. I'm trying to think who else like was notable at made debuts at your process, uh, like position player wise. I don't think anybody else. Right? Tyler Austin was pretty good. Yeah, I think I mentioned there. him, right? Did I? I already gave him a mention. Okay. Yeah. Then honestly, then, like, like what judge you, you, is the yeah, last one, right? Yeah, and you would rank him as the worst one of the four out of after 2016 by four. Like he's clearly at that point, you would consider him worse than Gary and, and bird. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not saying that because Pereira is struggling and like Dominguez is doing well, that Dominguez is the Gary of this situation and Pereira is the judge, but We've seen we've seen prospects get off the cold starts, hot starts, and we've seen how their careers have turned out. You got to be patient with these guys. So I don't I, know. I do think there was some inclination to potentially trade Pereira for a Juan Soto type if that was an option. Again, we can't really speak to that because it's San Diego. Uh, I think the general expectation is that they will go through some sort of change um, 
in the off season. Uh, and so we won't know if Soto's available or not, but it's hard to say. But here's here's reasons to believe in, in Pereira. So he hits the crap out of the ball. Just really, really does. His hard hit rate is 62.5%. That's pretty damn good. Some would say that that's pretty damn good. Um, his problem right now is he, he doesn't elevate enough. Um, he's hitting too, just too many ground balls, which, again, kind of expected for a guy in his kind of profile. Um, he's got an 18.8 fly ball percentage. Yeah, that's just just not good enough. Uh, and he swings and misses too much. Yeah, again, those were things that people relatively knew about. He's got a 47.2% whiff rate. Yeah, that's that was a, maybe that's a little higher than expected, but also not out of like, if you were swinging and missing like 55, 60% of the time, then I'd be a little concerned. But like all of this just says to me, I was like, yeah, he's just, this is what he does. Like he, he just needs some time. Good news for Pereira. He is hitting breaking balls extremely well. He doesn't have a ton of results for it yet. Um, and his whiff rate is high, but he does seem to be okay against breaking balls. He's, struggling a little bit against fastballs he's getting beat up in the zone right now but that's an adjustment that you can make like it's it's very doable again he hits the he hits the ball extremely hard um his plate discipline isn't awful i mean he's got an eight percent walk rate uh you know his his chase rate is 28.3 for a guy like him that's not bad so it really just comes down to do you feel like Everson Pereira can be your everyday left fielder. And if you feel like yes, then you only need to acquire one outfielder. Now, who is that outfielder? That's a different question. You know, some people will say Cody Bellinger. I think there's, I think it seems like they're not going to go that route. Um, I know some people be, but he's left-handed and a good defender. I don't think you're going to want to pay the money that Cody Bellinger is going to get if you're the Yankees. And I don't think they're wrong for not wanting to do that either. Um, again, they could still potentially try and acquire Juan Soto. Like they, the Yankees have the ability to acquire Soto without trading Everson Pereira, in my opinion. Like they can, they can get away with that. I just think if they had Dominguez, they would be more inclined to do it. But it just depends on if he's available. Again, there's also other options. There's guys who will cost just money to play the outfield for you, um, and Pereira can handle it in the meantime. Ultimately, I, I don't think this changes too much in the offseason plans. That's just my opinion, though. Like, I, I don't think it changes anything. I guess it just makes you want to get a veteran a little bit more, but I kind of already felt like that was going to be a thing in the first place. I don't I, – I think that this will be – this is going to be a very interesting offseason for the Yankees. There's a lot of things they're going to have to reevaluate. And not, this is not I, me and you speculating. This is – I mean, the, the organization's basically completely all, all out said, hey, we have to reevaluate everything, right? Like, we're going to – break yeah. down everything you know it's a, it's going to be that type of off season we'll see what it results in um you know i i don't want to sit here and start like oh it's going to go wrong and everything's in a sock and it's over like my life is over jason dominguez is the was the dominican superstar that they've taken for me now um but you know i i i don't know i i just i i don't i i think i'm also just like at the stage where it's like am i gonna sit here and get worked up on september 10th at this point like what good does that do? I, I've kind of burned. I already, I think I burned a lot of that out in June. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not capable of getting that. I still am. Uh, Max is uh, my witness here on that. But um, I gave you know, Ryan his space to calm down and think about yeah, it. Yeah. 
mostly at this point, it's like, hey, uh, can you pitch call good so like Clark Schmidt's ERA is lower or like so I can see I was right about Michael King or I said I can quote tweet a certain he, account. About he John did Brito. look really good the other night. He looks like a legitimate starter. I mean, yeah, if you're in a fantasy league, pick up Michael King and put him in your rotation. The Yankees' strength of schedule isn't that bad either. And Yankee seems play like a pitcher's ballpark. And he is going to face the Red Sox in his next, next outing. He'll miss the Pirates. Then he'll play the Blue Jays. But then I think he does. He finished with like Royals Pirates, right? Oh, wait, you don't get the Pirates or he doesn't get the Pirates. He will finish with like Toronto once or twice and then he'll go to, he might get the Royals. It just depends. You know what? He's also just Michael King. Like, you know what? I'll take Michael King against the world, man. But, you know, Michael King against the world. Solid, solid, solid pitcher. Speaking of pitchers in the Yankees, though, uh, depending on who you ask, it was either a good thing or a bad thing. In my opinion, it was a good thing. Yankees general manager Brian Cashman was in attendance for some history this week. Ryan, why don't you go ahead and explain to us what happened? All right. So Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who is, I mean, he's probably going to go out and win his third straight Saramore Award, which is the MPB equivalent of the Cy Young. He is the reigning Pacific League MVP, and he didn't just win one. That's was his second in a row. So he's clearly the best pitcher in the MPB. In terms of results, I would say talent-wise, you'd argue for a guy like Sasaki, but in terms of who's the best pitcher right now, the consensus opinion is it's Yamamoto. Um, every every team with money and a starting pitching need in baseball is going to be in on him. Brian Cashman was able to watch him throw a no-hitter. I mean, his second, I think it was his second of the year too, or, or was it his first? Second of the second, year. Yeah. Or second year in a row he threw one. I can't remember which one. He has a one two six ERA, which is one of the lowest in MPB history. Now, I do want to clarify. I'm pretty sure I saw that it is kind of a dead ball era there. So I'd look at it more like putting up a ridiculous ERA in 2021 instead of putting up a ridiculous ERA in like a 2022 type or 2023, 2023 type run environment. But man, I mean, his pitch mix is stellar. Like I know stuff plus data for the WBC is on a, on a limited sample size, but the velocity was pretty similar to what we've seen at the MPB. And it's, everything's a plus pitch, man, plus four seamer, plus curveball, plus cutter, plus uh, off speed. I, I, it's, it's, it's a change up on stuff plus, but it's a splitter in Japan. So I'm going to just assume it's a splitter, but it's probably it's a, like you can go with 95% confidence. It's yeah. A splitter. And I don't know if you've seen, I can't like show it obviously, but have you seen his curveball grip? It's this weird, like it's like this, like it's weird, man. It's a weird grip. Yamamoto is a very intriguing pitcher. Uh, he will be the best pitcher on the market. I think when we hit the off season and I think, you know, Brian Cashman was joined by Omar Minaya. There were some rumors that Hal Steinbrenner was there. We we didn't confirm that. Uh, if you look at a picture, it looks like he's there, but also nobody saw him and people were crowding Cashman as he left the stand. So you would have to assume that if Hal were there, people would have noticed. Um, but Omar Minaya and uh, Brian Cashman and several other Yankee executives and several executives across the league were there to watch Yamamoto pitch which pretty much just confirms what I just said, that he will be sought after highly. Um, I think there's reasons to sign and not sign somebody like Yamamoto. From the Yankees' perspective, it, it is what I mean. From their perspective, they did just pay Carlos Rodon, and it has not gone very well so far. Good news about Rodon is the stuff is still there. It's just a location issue, which is after coming off a shoulder and back injury. Not terribly surprising. It's The results are... Not at all what I expected. I thought he'd be not as good as he was last year, probably a tick down, but like certainly not this bad. Um, but long run, I, I do think he'll end up being okay if he can find a way to stay healthy. 
Um, he wasn't in fantastic shape coming into the spring training, and that definitely did not help things. Um, so you live and you learn there. Um, but, you know, the Yankees and acquiring pitching has not really gone their way for the past few years. Um, so this is something they kind of have to think about. You also have to understand from the perspective of, like, the Yankees are turning into an absolute arm factory. They are producing high-level arms like it's nothing. I mean, Drew Thorpe and Chase Hampton are top 100 guys. You could ar- argue that guys like Will Warren, Randy Vasquez, Johnny Brito deserve some consideration in that regard. Um, they're, they have a ton of arms available. Clark Schmidt has obviously made vast improvements and really proven that he can be a starter in the rotation. We just mentioned Michael King. So you just have to ask yourself, well, is the money worth it for this? Um, especially when you've had offensive problems this year and you know, it's not looking to get any better if you don't make any offensive adjustments. So you have to kind of ask yourself those questions. Um, the plus of Yamamoto is he's been extremely durable out there in the MPB. Um, no real major health issues or anything. So hypothetically, while there would be a bit of a learning curve, as there is for pretty much every pitcher that comes over, um, he would not be a guy who would throw 200 innings in his first year. But you can probably count on 160 to 180 innings this year or his first year in the league, which is I mean, when you get a number two or a number three starter, what you're kind of going for. You really need somebody with Garrett Cole that can just give you 160 to 180 top tier innings and you have a good team, like even with their offensive problems. So that's the reason to sign Yamamoto. The reason not to is you need offense and you just should use that money elsewhere. Where you use it, that's a better question. But I do feel, I know the Red Sox have been heavily interested in him as well. Um, the Red Sox are interesting because I feel like they're more desperate for somebody like a, for a guy like Yamamoto. They're, they certainly need him more than I think the Yankees do. I don't know how you feel about that, but that, that's how I feel. The way I view it is the Yankees need to spend on bats. That is true. But who on the market exists that can hit, right? And also the Red Sox element. I am, look, Max, you are a objective fan who, you know, can look at the game in a way that removes emotion when when it calls for it, which is in situations like these. Signing Yoshinobu Yamamoto and taking him away from the Boston Red Sox would be a mid-2000s Yankees thing. And honestly, like... Those mid two thousand Yankees weren't teams weren't that weren't amazing. Just just want to remind you. I mean the but I mean how do I put this? It's, it's clear George. Yankees it's a George Steinbrenner. Movie. Yeah, it's kind of like a not but like I don't want to like call it George because like George Steinbrenner like the 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 reason they won in the nineties was because he got kicked out of baseball for a bit. Correct. It allowed so, Gene Michael to make several really right. good decisions. But the way I look at it is if you are in a position where, you know, you're asked, would I rather have Yoshinobu Yamamoto or like sprinkle on some position players and just kind of like run it back? I'll take Yamamoto. Like he's 25. He's only like two months. He's not even, no, he's less than two months older than Clayton Beater. He's less than a year older than Will Warren. For all intents and purposes, he's a prospect, right? Like that's age yeah, wise, he is a prospect. He is a prospect pitcher. And he has a 173 ERA over the last three years in the MVP. Like I, I, there's a part of me that just like, I feel like I'm so confident he's good that it's hard for me to argue against signing him. But in the same vein, you have to include the aspect of 
will this preclude Hal Steinbrenner from greenlighting other moves? And will it like, I think the stand stuff makes you double, double get like kind of double guess everything. It's like, okay, this is the right, this is an available option that would help us and make us better right now. But does it, you know, will ownership step in and, and, and close the door on some other opportunities? I don't think when the Yankees got Stan, the idea was this ends Harper or this ends Machado to New York, but it ended up doing that. And we didn't know it at the time. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and the question comes back to Hal Steinbrenner and his willingness to make additional moves on top of it, which we've seen because of Stan. They, I, I don't want to say because of Stan. That's that's wrong. Because of how they won't. Right. And and you know, kind of looking a little bit too outside of the AL East in terms of who needs Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I know that people are going to expect me to say like a specific set of teams. Every team could use Yoshi, Yoshinobu. Yamamoto. Yeah, he's good. I, I think he's every got, team could use a good pitcher. That's the reality. I think he's an ace caliber guy. I think that's possible. In terms of stuff, how many guys have like better pitch repertoires than him? And with his command, because it's not like he's like, like Senga when he came over, the question was his command. Yamamoto, his command was his best attribute. And then he added two miles per hour to his fastball over the last couple of years. And then he really stood out. So my question is like, how many guys have his command and pitch mix? He feels like a, almost like an improved George Kirby. He's allowed as many home runs as he had complete games this year. He has two complete games and two home runs allowed this year. I don't care that it's the MPB because it's still a com- very competitive league. We saw that That's in the World Baseball Classic. It, there is talent. Right? There's a lot of talent in that league. That league is very good. We should not be downplaying you, it at all. You know, I, I I don't know. It's just he's been so dominant, historically dominant. He hasn't just been good. He is historically dominant. Max, he might win three straight MVPs and three straight Sarah Moore awards. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not like rehearsed on MPB history, but how many guys have done that? Like, I, I don't know if there's one. Maybe, is there? He, he's, he's an all time legend over there. Right. Yeah, it, he's it one just, of the greatest pitchers in Japanese history. I think he's one of the 20 to 25 best pitchers on planet Earth right if, now. And I think that's conservative. Listen, I think immediately he becomes the best pitching prospect in baseball. Absolutely. Immediately. I, I don't think it's close either. Like, I know you have Grayson Rodriguez and. Ricky Tiedemann and Paul Steens, Drew Thorpe, uh, like, you know, but the Yamamoto is legit. I mean, I, he could contend for American league Cy Young votes right away, which when we and get to see it takes, we'll get to something similar like that. Uh, yeah, he, he's, he's incredible. It just becomes a reality of, um, do you want to spend on a pitcher? Um, and it's interesting to see. I do think the Dodgers are in the run here. I think that's such a good fit too, because you know there's an adjustment where Senga talked about this going to drive line, working with major league baseballs instead of the MPB balls because they're a little bit different. That's a seamless fit. Like Yamamoto would Yamamoto wins a Cy Young in year like two or three if he's a Dodger. Yeah, I I think I think the main contenders, I don't want to say the Yankees because I'm not sure. I just I can never it does sound like they're very serious though. I did read a report that said they were more likely to sign him than Otani. And that does not surprise me just because Let's be honest, Otani's going to the Dodgers. It really doesn't matter. Uh, was that referencing their this year's interest or the interest in, when that they had in 2018, Otani? Because I think that was what they were referring I, to. I think it was referencing both, to be honest. Because if but, it's ref- referencing their interest, if it's comparing it to the interest in 2018, Otani, that changes things because they really, like, they were really off a building and saying he wants Shohei Otani. Like, yeah, I mean, he, he <laughs> they were do, they were really doing everything they could. That's an absurd right. sentence. Your general manager was dangling off a building praising a player that they wanted to sign a free agency. Sure, man. But speaking of the Dodgers, uh, Mookie Betts had a bit of a scare recently and had sat out this entire Washington National Series, and we're still kind of waiting to see how he responds. If he can come back this season, 
that's great. But if not, his MVP case, well, it certainly takes a hit. Now, this kind of reminds me a little bit of 2019. Because if you go back, if you can peel your brain back far enough, if you're listening to this, to 2019, which was four years ago, Christian Yelich got hurt at the end of the year. Um, and it kind of just, at the time, they were neck and neck. But because he missed, what was it, like 15 to 20 games at the end of the year, Bellinger played well enough in that stretch to pull ahead of Yelich in most people's minds. Um, so Bellinger won. If Betts doesn't come back, it kind of reminds me of that situation. Now, the difference is Betts has a noticeably better gap on Acuna in terms of advanced metrics, WRC plus than Yelich did on Bellinger. They were they were really in a dead heat. Like it was really close. Um, this is a little bit bigger of a gap. Now, the fact that they didn't instantly place him on the IL does give me confidence that Betts will be okay. Um, from the comments I think I read yesterday, it sounds like he should be able to get into game action sometime in the next week. Um, so that's a good sign. But, but I mean, if he doesn't come back, I, I really don't know where to go with the MVP race here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's certainly like, I, I think it was going to take something like this in order for bets to fall like back to the pack. I don't know. I, I felt like Betts was going to start running away with it. I, I know that Acuna's had a really, he's had some really, really good weeks recently. And the Braves went into LA and I think they took two out of three and Acuna had a big series. So that kind of, you know, changed uh, perspectives. But look, man, Betts has just been the better player this year. Like, I, I, look, we could talk about one month, two months, whatever. Like the MVP award is not the consistency award. Like it's, it's not the award of who's been it's just, who's the best player. Right. Like I, I like Jake Arrieta won a Cy Young because of a second half, right? Like you could, if you boil it down to that, that's what it is, but that doesn't make it less impressive. It just makes that, it honestly makes it more impressive, right? Like if you have such a good month or such a good half that it wins you an award when you were not really in the forefront of it, hats off to you. But you know, I, I think Acuna, I think if Freeman and Acuna are close in value in terms of wins of replace it, which I think they will be. And I think Acuna actually has that. Yeah. He has the leg up right now. I think if it's not Betts, it's going to be Acuna. I think that's we're at that point in the race. I, I don't know. I think it's going to take a really good month for Freeman because the counting, like the counting stats, the, the 64 stolen bases are going to get votes that you could argue he shouldn't get at times. You could argue that it's a little bit overblown. I, I do think it's a little overblown at times, but he's, there is a historical value for it, right? Like Aaron Judge had the same, like Aaron Judge was clearly the MVP last year. And he didn't win it unanimously because there's always going to be some sort of counter argument. Shouldn't know Betts actually played today. I didn't realize that he did. Yeah. Okay, then you know what he's. He, he went over four. I, I still. Th I mean, unless again, unless he has the worst month of September and Acuna has the best month of September we've seen, it's going to really be hard to close the gap for me. I don't know. It is so. It's it, right now. It's a five point WRC plus gap and a point six WAR gap when Acuna has more played appearances. And they play the same, roughly the same position. I still don't really see the argument here for Acuna. Like, I I understand. I don't know by by baseball reference war what the gap is. I know it was like it was at like point nine at one point in time. But yeah, I Acuna. I understand the stolen bases. A potential forty, a potential forty seventy season is. Obviously awesome. Like, I'm not saying it's not super cool. And he's been so fun to watch and everything this year. Really, really amazing year for him. But 
Betts has a 20 point higher slugging percentage um, in a you know more pitcher friendly park and has a higher ISO, better WRC plus, and has been a better defender. Yeah, and it's for me, just just what it comes down to, right? Like I, I now here's here's an interesting topic. If if it were so close, something I will do is kind of take. I don't really like doing this because it's never been this close. But I said to myself, if it ever gets this close, I will take who like had better batted ball data into account. Because if they are, let's say, let's say Acuna and Betts both have the same WRC plus and the same WAR at the end of the year. And it now becomes like, it really is. I'm looking for a reason to vote for one or the other. That's where I think I would start to lean Acuna because his bad ball data is so impressive that it would lean me the other way. But at this point, it it doesn't matter because I go by what actually happened and not necessarily like the type of bad ball quality that was happening. Do you think when it's close, what would you do to try and decide a race? I... Honestly, ah, this is tough. I mean, I don't want to just go with like, okay, whoever has the point one war advantage, you win the MVP. No discussion needs to be had. Right. It, it, there's it, there's a margin of error for the metric. Like you can't ignore it. Um, I don't know. Uh, this I think like the batted ball thing. I can hear the argument for that. I, I think I I think if it was like within point two war, I'd give it to Acuna for the sense of like. He stole seventy base. Like he steals seventy base. He right. Like I, I can, I can, I can dig it. You know what I mean? Like I can get it. Um. But the thing for me right now is just like, if you're making an, if you're making an MVP argument, and your first two things are okay, let's ignore the WRC plus and WAR. You're you're making a losing argument. You're you're narrative Correct. balling. Like you're 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 you've lost the argument. Once HVT you... has gotten into your head, dude. I'm telling you, that is my goat of narrative life. <laughs> he is the he is again. I te- this is the example of the comparison I used. He is to narrative ball what LeBron was the Eastern Conference for all those years. Like he is he's that much better at narrative balling than everybody else. It's it not close. It's not close. I can't generational compete. at it. Uh, yeah, I. I think the stolen bases would become a separating factor potentially. But again, like when guys are so close and so equal, like you're, you have to look for reasons to vote for one of them. And so batted ball data starts to become like part of that discussion for me because it's like, okay, which one was like doing things hypothetically better than the other that could lead to them being an MVP. It's not there yet. But at one point in time, I, I remember when I brought up the Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger debate, like they were neck and neck. Like that was the thing I was telling myself was I'm going to have to like look really deep into this to figure out who should win here, aren't I? Like it's going to like it's going to be tough, but I don't think we're going to have to do that here because bets played today. Um, I, th- I think we'll be OK. Uh, I, I, it is funny looking at the fan graphs leaderboards and it's just like everybody in the top, uh, you know, top 30 has played well over 110 games and everything. And then there's Corey Seager at 99 games played and a 5.6 fan graph score. Jesus Christ. What a year for Corey Seager, man. Like just so the Rangers did so good signing him. They did so well signing him. They're still free falling. They're out of the playoff picture, by the way. You know, I just want to mention that, that they have fallen out of the playoff picture, but he's like, at Corey Seager though. That's, that's pretty nice. That's pretty nice. 177 Dude. WRC plus this guy's insane. I mean, like, I feel like he was always, like, he just wanted that one year where he stayed on the field consistently. And it felt like 2022 was that year. But then you're like, okay, the results weren't there. 
But this year, man, holy They got shit. rid of the shift, and everyone's like, yeah, Corey Seager should benefit. And it was like, wow, we were all right. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it's funny, too, because, like, the conversation, like, the, the trendy, con- the, like, the trendy, trendy argument was, yeah, it's going to help him, but pump the brakes, guys. You don't want to buy too much. And then Corey Seager, like, it, his BAPIP shot up over points like i uh, yes the process as to saying like okay he's probably not like the bat gains are not gonna be what people think the process to that was sound Corey seager said fuck your process though um which like sure man i respect i respect it like I, this dude's insane i just i don't think i've ever gotten to sit down and, like appreciate his numbers enough 29 home runs in 98 games is not human dude like i for short 30 actually now with 99 i didn't know that forgot that he had a home run today good for him Man, thirty and under hundred is, is special. Like what you're doing, I, I like really, that. yeah. It, he really is an immensely amazing talent for one and two. Just an immensely fun player. Horrible base runner though. Oh my god, is it the base running or the double plays? Like that's I, usually because he hits third for them and he's a lefty. So you think every pulled fly, uh, every pulled ground ball, ground ball is right. probably a double play. That's a that's a good. Let's go to let's go to baseball's fun. We're going off on a tangent here. Go with yeah us on our journey, especially since. I mean, Fangraphs is being slow for us right now, which like I was expecting it to do that. His base running value is bad there. It's minus two. Like that's he's that's, slow now. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, that is slow. He is at a 22 sprint speed. No, a he's slow, no a slow guy entering his 30s on a big contract. You should never have this guy on your team, according to certain people on a certain fan base. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Oh, well. Speaking of fans and takes, well, we might as well get into what the Borgerly episode is. It's our second edition of Seam Shifted Takes. So, as always, we went on Twitter and asked you uh, for you guys to give us some takes. And, you know, we will tell you whether or not we think it's good or bad. And, of course, we have the, you know, fly balls are outs, are just outs with our outs without walls award. Devils impress me more as a pure hitter. I hope that guy, I hope he stays awake at night thinking about he's one of the He's one of the realest hoopers I've ever seen. True, truly, truly insane. Uh, all right. Starting off, we have from Ryan, Jack, NYY. I do have to apologize to the, Ryan because we did say that we were not in agreement on his Marcelo Meyer take that Dominguez would be better than him. And uh, boy, did that age poorly very fast because Dominguez went on an absolute tear after that RIP saying tear. I didn't mean it. Um, but do apologize, Ryan, that we got that wrong. But he said, unfortunately, Jason Dominguez will win Rookie of the Year in 2024, borrow, barring uh Yamamoto going to the American League. Um I think we're going to have to say that this take is inconclusive because of today's news. So now, before today's news, I think that you could have made this argument super easily, right? I think going in, you know, unless Jackson Holiday was on the, you know, Orioles opening day roster, which is not out of the equation because he is amazing, uh then I would say that Dominguez was probably going to be the favorite for the American League Rookie of the Year if Yamamoto didn't if signed with the National League team. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I, dude, I, it's I again, just kind of like heartbreaking a little bit right now. But I, I think that the skills are definitely there. I mean, it's impressive he hit three home runs with a torn UCL. Shows how amazingly talented he is. His like, bat speed was great. Not yeah. going to give specific numbers, but it was great. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, I, I think there was an argument for this before the injury. Uh, moving from at how to hell, Hal Steimer, if you're listening to this, don't don't take that seriously. Uh, he said, Garrett Cole is a worse pitcher in 2023 than he was in 2022, despite a better ERA. So 
this kind of comes down to how you feel about metrics like Sierra, FIP, XFIP, and how they kind of quantify how good a pitcher is. Um, and obviously how you feel about ERA. So we're just going to read out Garrett Cole's 2022 numbers. He threw 200.2 innings. He had a 3.50 ERA, a 3.31 uh, expected ERA, a 3.47 FIP, a 2.77 XFIP, and he had a 26.1 strikeout minus walk percentage. Good for a, what was his Sierra? Come on. Give it to me. A uh, 2.77 Sierra last year. Those are all very good. But Garrett Cole gave up a total of 33 home runs last year. So it kind of comes down to how you feel if like that many home runs is reflective of how you pitched. So now if we go to this year, um, looking at his numbers, hang on, I have to go back to the live stats and everything like that. Um, he pitched great today, though. Seven innings, three hits, nine strikeouts, no walks, zero runs allowed. He was absolutely dominant, getting closer to locking up that Cy Young for himself, which he more than deserves in his career and everything. Uh, so after today's start, he is down to a 2.79 ERA, a 3.31 FIP, a 3.57 Expected FIP, um, his expected ERA, I think, is at like 3.3 or so based off of where it was prior to today's start. Um, and then his uh, Sierra is, I believe, 3.62. So, and he has a 20 point, uh, sorry, he has a 21.4 strike at minus walk percentage. So those are a lot of numbers and everything like that, you know, kind of just spamming the numbers and everything but i could see why somebody would say that but here's what my response to that is giving up home runs is bad <laughs> like if you do it a lot then you know you gotta fix something and so i think cole made a bit of a change to sacrifice some strikeouts to just not give up as many home runs you know he fine-tuned his command and took a little bit off his fastball. He's throwing it a little bit slower than he did last year, but he holds it into the games just as well as he did last year. He still pumps 99 late in games, still pumps 100 when it counts. Um, but he just he kind of just goes about his business throughout starts and tries to hold it together. So I'm going to go with I don't agree with this take, but I understand why you think that way. I think that this is kind of like a difference in the art of pitching versus science of pitching, but I think Cole got better at the art of pitching by just fine tuning the science a little bit. So I think he's pitched better this year than he did last year, despite the fact that he doesn't have as many strikeouts and there is a noticeable dip in strikeout minus walk rate. But I think that was a planned sacrifice. In my opinion, the way I look at it is, Garrett Cole, if you gave like Garrett, 2022 Garrett Cole this year's fastball command and this year's cutter, he's like he's getting closer to that 2019 season than people would give him credit for. But that's two big variables you have to you you have to we're talking about here. We're talking fastball command, which is huge, and an entire like a tweak to a a pitch that has become really reliable for him. Like he doesn't throw his cutter 
overwhelmingly often. It's not like a you know a 30 or 40 percent pitch for him, but that 10 to 12 percent usage of a pretty solid cutter instead of a not great one, it matters, right? Like it, it's made a difference. Um now I, I will also say too, he kind of feels like he's become kind of like a an old guy. Not like old as in like slowing down, but old as in the sense of like smarter guy. You know what I mean? A smarter pitcher. He feels like he's gone from his like he he feels like he made that you know like that transition CC made in the mid 2010s where it was like going from flamethrower who could just say fastball over the middle try to hit it to all right I've got to start mixing my cutter because I'm losing velocity um, among other variables with his stuff that just degraded with age and time um, and then in 2017 2018 he was just nails right like he was a very qual- very high cal- caliber starting pitcher for someone his age um, Garrett Cole kind of figured that out I think at an earlier stage number one and number two with better velocity. Um, he, he's kind of just like, he's kind of a dad now, right? Like he's kind of just like a dad pitcher. Literally. Like it's, you know, before it was just, Hey, I'm Garrett Cole. I'm I've got, you know, my hair is flowing. I've got 99. I'm sick as hell. Like I'm a 20 mid, I'm a 28 year old, 29 year old superstar pitcher to, all right. You know, he, he kind of looks like sometimes he's like, you know, almost like disgusted, not just disgusted with himself, like an angry way, disgusted himself with like a, Oh, this sucks. Like, I really don't want to do this right now. Or man, I really have to make this pitch right now. Man, he really fouled that pitch off. Are you serious? He's kind of just, he's been around the block. He's been around baseball for 10 years, the major league level. He's been a part of big games. He's been a part of a lot of different organizations. He's matured. Like I'm not saying he was ever like immature, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like Verlander, he had that kind of progression where like, all right. Like the the good ones figure it out per se. They figure out how to last. Cole's doing that. We're seeing that evolution of Garrett Cole. Like, hey man. I don't always need to punch everybody out. Like I just need to find a way to get through the game as long as I can. He is leading the American league in innings. Yeah. I have pretty good amount too. Like it's not insignificant. Like if you finish with like 10 more innings than anybody else, you know, at the end of the year, which he's roughly on track to do. It just depends on how they use him the rest of the year. Um, that's pretty impressive. Like, you know, he, I, I think this version of Garrett Cole, yes, maybe not as flashy, is still very good. He does have his lowest home run to fly ball ratio in his career since his first year in Houston. I think that's, I, I think he, yeah. this is a planned thing. Like he really said to himself, I'm okay with sacrificing some strikeouts in order to kind of manage the contact a little bit better, you know, not give up as many, you know, home runs, you know, kind of, Stop hitting, you know, getting so many fly balls hit against me and everything. Though it is ironic that his ground ball rate is actually lowest it's been since 2020. Uh, but I think I don't agree with the statement that he's a worse pitcher this year than he was last year. I think he's a different pitcher. I think he's, I think yeah. he's smarter. I think he's just a, I, I think it's, I think that's a good take to say he's just smarter about who he is um, this year than he's than also he, 33. Like, I, I feel yeah, like you, you, at belated some happy point, birthday. Yeah, at some point it was going to happen. His stuff plus is down. Like it was 130 last year. This year it's 122. But it was going to happen, right? It was like at some point Garrett Cole was not going to be able to just spam 98 with like 12 inches of run and 19, 18 to 19 inches of induced vertical break whenever he wanted, right? Now it's got to be more controlled and more kind of. I guess selective. He'll throw that fa- like a first pitch fastball kind of over the plate at 94, just because he knows the guy is not going to swing. If if he ambushes him, good for him, right? Like good for whoever that is. But usually they don't, and, and he's been smarter about it. It's almost like he's 
I guess he, no, not almost like I, he is just saving his bullets at times. So he'll, he'll dial up the 99 when he needs it. He'll turn yeah. into that 130 stuff plus guy who can go 33% strikeout rate when he needs to. And you've seen it in his last two starts. He'll pick up the strikeouts when he's like, all right, I got, I got to start punching some dudes out. Like I got to, I got to get some whiffs here. Uh, but for the most part, he's, I think he kind of seen him like, I just got to go as deep as I can every time I pitch. Like, and that's a very valuable thing. Um, I, again, I don't think this is, I don't think you're wrong for necessarily saying that. I don't like, if you looked at the numbers, yes, he took significant dips in strikeout minus walk percentage, Sierra, uh, XFIP, everything. Like, I, I understand why you would think that, but I, I think it's, I, this is where I kind of come on like ERA estimators don't tell you the whole story because they can't tell you necessarily like the fine tuning, the tweaks that you make to maybe sacrifice those things to then be better at run prevention, which is what he's clearly doing this year. Uh, moving on from friend of the pod, uh, Jeremy Siegel. He said, Francisco Lindor of the New York Mets is one to two good seasons away from being a hall of famer. This is a fantastic take. It really is a, a tremendous take. Um, so if we were to go into the Fangraphs leaderboard and, you know, we go to batting and we put it from, Let's just say we'll go we'll go 2017 to 2013, right? 2017 to 2013. Here are your fan graphs for leaders. First is Mookie Betts at 43.4. Second, Aaron Judge at 40.7. Third, Jose Ramirez at 38.8. Fourth, Mike Trout at 37.9. And tied with Mike Trout is Francisco Lindor at 37.9. So, for basically the past six years, Francisco Lindor has been consistently in a top 10 player. His career war is 47.2. With a career 118 WRC plus, he has a 119 WRC plus this year. He had a 125 WRC plus last year. I know his first year with the Mets wasn't great, but since then, he's been nothing but steady. He's been everything you could have wanted. I know there, I, I do not fathom that there are Mets fans that do not like this guy because I see him and I think, yeah, this is arguably the best shortstop in baseball. He's just that good. I, I agree with this take full wholeheartedly. Two more seasons, like the seasons that he's having this year, he's definitely a Hall of Famer in my book. Yeah, I looked at the F4 leaderboards since I tweeted this out. Since his debut year, 2015, not when he debuted, because we know he didn't play the full season in 2015. He came up mid-season. I don't want to hold that against, because Mookie Betts, I think, also came up that year, so I didn't want to go like arbitrary sample size. I just included the whole year. He is, there is, Mookie Betts is first, Mike Trout second, Lindor is third. That, that's the company you're with, right? Like, First off, the fact that Mookie Betts, like that's a large sample size. Mookie Betts having more war than my generational player, man. Generational player, crazy. But um, like, dude, I I get it. I know people are gonna say, well, you don't pay for defense. Says who? Right? Like, I don't know when that notion existed. At shortstop, you, don't you pay do. for defense. You pay for defense at shortstop. Yeah, you like, have to. You have to pay for defense at shortstop. I mean. If you are, if you're going to sit here and tell me that defense doesn't matter, if having the most alto of average at short, not just at shortstop, but amongst all players in baseball, but doing so at the shortstop position, if you're telling me that's not something you pay a lot of money for, you're wrong, right? Like I, I, I don't, I, I don't see how that's an argument. 
this dude is like in terms of WRC plus in terms of offense production is like if you had Derek Jeter and threw him with what like I wouldn't say Simmons. Simmons is a different level of defender. Andrelton Simmons is shout out him in his prime, but he's comfortably like in that tier right below the Simmons and Ozzy Smiths of the world. I know Alto of Average will tell you he's in that tier, and I wouldn't hate an argument for that. I think as time co- Anderson goes on, Simmons did have like a 43 defensive run. Yeah, six. that's kind of the thing. That's it's kind like, of insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, but, it's hard. Oh, right. Simmons. Andrelton Simmons is kind of kooky. Like, I if you forgot have, about that. It, first of all, he's out of baseball. But second of all, if you want to go look back at some of the things Andrelton Simmons has said, and uh, oh boy, yeah, Can Lindor, I go ahead. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's just... good. Good for you. We kind of, I really liked Andrelton Simmons. So when I saw that stuff, it made me very sad. Um, yeah, Lindor is is incredible. I mean, he's just he is a good hitting shortstop who plays amazing defense and is a very good base runner. He does have the most stolen bases in his career this year. Now, again, take take it with a grain of salt, right? But he's 26 for 28 in stolen bases. So he's stealing bases at an extremely high rate, too. Like, it's not like he's just out there running wildly. Like, he's very effective at stolen bases as well. And again, even by traditional measures, 251, 331, 465 with 26 home runs, uh, 92 runs scored, 85 RBI with 26 stolen bases and 28 attempts. All of that should tell you at shortstop with great defense should tell you that he's a top five player in the sport. And I think he is. I think he yeah. is. I, th- I do think he's a top five player in the sport. I, I don't know. People who don't like Francisco Lindor really drive me insane. I, I, I do Dude, if you're a Mets me. fan who like complains about him making a lot of money in your team, like, you, do you know how many other things you can complain about it? Like, that's a fan base that kind of has a right to complain. You know what I mean? Which, unlike the New York, other New York one, that one has a fan base. That, that fan base has a right to complain about most things, right? How is that one of those? How is one of those things right to school indoor? That dude might retire as, like, what, one of the two or three best position players to play for the Mets ever? Yeah, he's he's going to retire as the best shortstop they've ever had in franchise Yeah. Baseball. Like, it's a question of can he pass, like, Mike Piazza, which, like, it's not impossible, right? Like, it's not like, you know, it's not – I wouldn't say it's the median outcome. I think that's always kind of hard to kind of set that as your bar of expectations. But when you're – when the crowd you're associated with in terms of player value is Mike Trout, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts. Well, I'm not going to throw Freddie Freeman. He's behind Lindor in that stretch. But those type of guys. The judges, Betts's, and and Trout's of the world. like Oh, and he's not 30 yet. That's good company to be in. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he it's not a, a when or it's not an if case. It's a when case for me, for Francisco Lindor in the Hall of Agreed. Fame. Agreed. I like I just an incredible player. Also super fun. Like he's always smiling, having a good time. Like just a just a fun player, man. Uh, moving on from uh, Vitaly Jefferson at or sorry, at Vitaly Jefferson, Jeff, friend of the pod. Uh, Greg Weiser will be a top four reliever for the Yankees next year. His sweeper single combo is a le- is a lethal combo. His sweeper hovers a little bo- uh, below 70, 80 miles per hour, but has almost 22 inches of horizontal movement. And the sinker hovers below 94 while getting 16 inches of arm side movement uh, in the minors. Anyway, he was getting 36.8 uh, called strike plus whiff percentage on a sweeper and a 41.6 
call strike uh, plus whiff percentage on the sinker while producing ground balls at a 65.5% clip. So I really like this take because it gives a lot of data behind his take. And I appreciate that. It does the work for us. Um, there's a lot of reasons to really like Greg Weiser. Um, as Jeff sort of hints there, his two pitches are really good. He has a fastball too, but his sinker sweeper combo, really, really good. He has very good stuff. Command has not been his friend. Um, he's had some problems uh, just commanding the strike zone enough. It looked like there were some improvements at one point in time this year, um, but that's kind of where it comes in. I think if he can you know, improve his command enough, I tend to think that that's a smart take. I think that's a good take. I, I could totally see the argument for Greg Weiser being a guy who's very good for the Yankees next year. His stuff is there. It's a matter of like, hey, can he get the chases that he's looking for? That's kind of always going to be an issue for a guy with like a big breaking ball and kind of the ball just flies everywhere. Um, if his command is remotely decent, I mean, also having good stuff should should on paper help with quality of contact. That hasn't happened at the major league level, but he's put up good results in AAA, which ban box, right? Like AAA is not an easy thing to pitch in now. Yeah. Now he, he is, I know that people are going to cite like he is going to turn, I think 28 next year, or he already is 28, but I I, I think that we can, that kind doesn't of, matter. Right. Like, I, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm too concerned about like relief pitcher age. If the stuff is there, I'd be more concerned if it was like, okay, he's 28, 29, like Matt Crook, he's coming off of like a billion injuries. You know what I mean? So it's like his yeah. velocity is gone. It's, it's, I mean, it, it is diminished. I saw a report. Like he used to sit like 95, 96. You're lucky if you get 92, right? Like yeah. that's, that's not concerning. where Greg Weiser is. And he's added a cutter. The, the results AAA have been better. I think than they were not than they were last year, but maybe like, I think maybe, I think it was like league adjusted for like the ERA that's down there, which is like five two five. Um, he's added a cutter that should help him with command. We'll see how that goes. His four seam and change up that combination is already very good. Like that, those two pitches kind of already have given him success. He's done really well against lefties. It's a matter of if he can command the rest of his arsenal and the, the two pitches you're looking for him to command are his two, the two pitches that, uh, Jeff brought up, which are the sinker and the sweeper, which are his two best in terms of stuff. Plus. So I have confidence. I'm not going to say it's a lock, but I have confidence. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, he has a 116 stuff plus on his sinker, only a 94 on the slider, but I think that's because it's being grouped as a slider and not necessarily a sweeper, but it's hard to say. Uh, Michael King has a 145 on his stuff plus. Jesus Christ. Um, it's just fun looking at a stuff plus page. It's just so cool. Randy Vasquez hype. Um, anyway, yeah, I think there's reasons to be optimistic about Weiser. Um, he gets babbipped a lot, which that's, you know, it seems to happen to the Yankee relievers frequently because they are ground ball type pitchers. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there is reason to believe that he could be pretty good. And I think that's worth a shot. He does have a one Oh five stuff. Plus um, his location plus is 92, which as I said, that's kind of the problem. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he can figure it out. I think he'll be okay. He, he, I, would agree. I, I, I think he'll pick, I, I also think he'll get the chance. I should say, like, I do think he gets that chance next year. Um, moving on from at wing of night, nerd Duncan, Bernie, Bernie Williams deserves to be in the hall of fame. This is tough for me because I feel like we're starting to get to a point where we recognize that we need to give Bernie his due. I know uh, Joe Rendazzo at Yankee librarian 
put out a big thread about why he thinks the core four is like a bad nickname for them. I kind of agree because I do think that's Bernie Williams erasure. Uh, and I don't want to do that. But so here's the thing. Defense still matters. And Bernie, by modern evaluations, was not necessarily the best defender. But he raked from 1995 to 2002. He had a 143 WRC, uh, sorry, 143 WRC plus. He hit 321, 406, 531 as a switch hitter in the steroid era and hit 194 home runs and a 39.7 fangrass war. For a peak, I would say that's a Hall of Fame level peak. Like he had a Hall of Fame peak. However, outside of that, didn't really do a whole much because he was pretty bad at the end of his career. Um, and the Yankees kept just trotting him out there, which that's on them. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to have to lean. No, I, I don't think Bernie Williams belongs in the hall of fame. I do think he should have lasted longer on the ballot than he did because I think he deserved like a legitimate chance, but ultimately, you know, while the peak is probably there, it's not there enough to overlook the lack of longevity for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big thing is the defense, too. Like, if he was a good defensive center fielder, he is Easily in. All. Yeah, he's waltzing Easily in. in. People liked Bernie. Yeah. Like, it wasn't that they didn't want to vote for him. People liked Bernie Williams. How could they not? He's like a super nice guy. Uh, but, I, you know, I do think he is extremely – he's starting to get his love now, but I, I think he was underrated by Yankee fans for a little bit there. I mean, in 1998, look at this. Look at this season in 1998 at the plate. 339, 422, 575. He had a 12.8 walk rate and a 14.0 strikeout rate. Good for a 158 WRC plus on the best team of all time. Yeah, you know, Bernie Williams is like the textbook definition of Hall of Very Good. And I think that we kind of underappreciate just how good a Hall of, Hall of Very Good career is, especially one like Bernie's. He spent his entire career at the Yankee organization. He was a part of one of the most successful stretches, not just in the Yankees franchise history, but in all of North American professional sports history in those late 90s teams. He was a big part of those teams. He's, I think he hit a walk-off from running the ALCS or something like that. Had some big moments, was a big, was, you know, he played a long career, even though his peak wasn't, you know, necessarily as long as you'd like it to. Sure, we can gripe out the defense or whatever and say, you know, yeah, you know what? He never ended up in the Hall of Fame, and that kind of sucks. But um, it's not the same parallel because, like, th- their careers ended in two different notes for two separate reasons. But, you know, like, Steven Strasburg, he's not a Hall of Famer. But it's really hard to say, like, oh, Steven Strasburg shouldn't be happy with the things he accomplished in his career. You spent your entire career with one organization. That's already an incredible thing, though it's different, I think. I think Strasburg and Williams will give you different anecdotes and how they feel about the organizations they spent their career with. Um, at least recently. behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, behind closed doors, of course. I don't think Strasburg would be like, go all public out with that. But anyways, Williams, I mean, he there's a lot he did well in his career. There's a lot of things he was able to accomplish. Um, you know, and, and as you mentioned, he's a great guy. I got to interview on a fire side. He's just the nicest dude, man. Like, I... I was so nervous talking, but he's a nice guy. He's a great dude. Um, and I think that he's appreciated by by the parts of the fan base that really pay attention to the Yankees. I'm not saying that they are smart, but I'm saying, you know, that at least 
smart or not, Yankee fans, they're passionate. Yankee fans, they, they watch baseball games. Like they'll say I'm not watching, but they watch every single game. Like that, that place is sold out all the time. Those people are going to always appreciate Bernie Williams. Every Yankee fan who knows anything will appreciate Bernie Williams, even if he doesn't, even if he isn't a Hall of Fame caliber player. And I think that's kind of the takeaway for me here. Love Bernie. Wish I, I really wish I could vote for him because I, I, I do really like him a lot. Moving on, our, our next take comes from at Jones to Waller, who's probably not having a great time right now. Uh, Rory says, uh, Veda Pinson, uh, Veda Pinson is the most unappreciated great player ever. And I'm going to have to inherently agree with this take because I had no idea who he was. And then we went on his baseball reference page and his fan graphs page. And now I'm just sad because, oh my God. So from 1959 to 1967, these numbers are going to be gaudy for the folks listening to, uh, if it would load baseball reference, please. So from 1959 to 1967, he was worth, worth 46 baseball reference war and 41.8 uh, Fangraphs war. Good for 122 WRC plus with a 300, 343, 478 slash line. And he hit 180 home runs during this period and stole 202 bases. By the end of 1967, he was only 28 years old. This guy was a future Hall of Famer by almost every possible way you could think about it. And then he just stopped. He just, he was inconsistent with the bat. He was inconsistent with the glove. He played plenty. Like he still was getting over 130 games a year until 1973 when he was 34. He just stopped producing. It's this just it just makes me sad. Like this was a Hall of Fame level peak. Um, he also hit 14 triples in a year. That's really cool. Um, he led the league in triples a couple times, led the league in doubles a couple times, had several seasons with over 200 hits. Yeah, I mean, this is a great player. I I had no idea who he was. Also from Oakland, so shout out to my Northern California folks. Um, yeah, this is. This is quite sad. Uh, he also died in 1995. So, you know, he doesn't get to be alive for people to re-recognize how good he was at one point in time. So that's too sad. Yeah, this, this just makes me sad. Yeah, and it's like such a pretty slash line too in his prime. Like, it, it makes you sad. It's like, dude, like this is a perfect baseball player, kind of. 299 average, 343 OBP, 477 for his between 58 and 67. Averaging 20 home runs per 162 games with 23 steals, not too many strikeouts, walks a decent amount. Like, that's the type of player that you're like, yeah, that's like kind of your ideal, like just solid all around. He, he won a gold glove and his, some of his total zone numbers are pretty solid diff, uh, in certain seasons. So just kind of all around a pretty good player. Yeah, I had no no clue this guy existed like before recording this podcast. Spent 11 years with the Reds. Um, that's where pretty much his good years came. Went to Seattle. Uh, went sorry, not to Seattle. Went to St. Louis, then to Cleveland, then to California, and then to Kansas City. And pretty much after he left Cincinnati, he was just never really that good again. Um, he had some okay years with the bat after that, but never really reached the peak of what he once was. So, yeah, this is this this is a great take. This is definitely definitely up there. Um, 
on underappreciated superstars. This, this is a great take. Got to give uh, Rory some props. His next take, he said, Mark Vientos has the ability to be a good major league DH and is also attractive. I don't know how hot it is. Um, can't speak to the second part, but with the first part, uh, Vientos, yeah, he's going to be a DH. The, the glove is just bad. Um, now, if you're looking for positives for Mark Vientos, if you're a Mets fan listening to this, because if you're a Mets fan listening to this, you're probably, you know, not super thrilled with um, the production of Mark Vientos so far. He is only 23. So that's a good thing. He, he is still fairly young. Um, he also, like Everson Pereira, hits the ball really hard. Has a 114.9 max exit velocity. His exit velocity numbers are really good. 456 expected on well, expected WOBA on contact. 54.6 uh, hard hit rate. <laughs> These numbers look so similar to Jake Bowers. Uh, it's just making me laugh. Um, but the problem, way too many ground balls, um, n- not nearly enough fly balls, um, and his plate discipline is very bad. At a 34.5% chase rate, um, he has a 37.7% whiff rate. If he wants to be a DH, those have to improve. He's got the batted ball part down. He can hit the ball pretty hard. I don't think you're ever going to hear anybody deny that. Um, but we're at over 200 plate appearances now, and the, the plate discipline numbers are not good, to say the least. And and again, he's just not that good of a defender. So something has to give there. He is, again, very similar to Everson Pereira. Um, I don't think, obviously, he's not nearly as good with the glove. Um, and But they're... Batted ball ability is pretty similar. So something has to give. He's got slightly worse plate discipline than Pereira does. Um, so I can't say this is a good take. I can't say it's a bad take. I, I, I think there's some potential to be a, a solid DH, but I think if you're the Mets, like it's okay to kind of write it out because you know you're not really competing right now and probably not next year, but I think if you want to take the jump as a team, that's not the guy I'd be kind of trying to help me take the jump per se. Yeah. The way I look at it is I'd sell on the take of he's going to be a regular everyday DH, but I'm not closing the door on it. Right. Like I think there's a sell and then there's close the door on that. It's not happening. Um, and I think, I don't think it's, it's close the door. It's not happening levels, but here's the league average WRC plus for DH this year. One ten. That's a, that's a, that's a bar you're going to have to climb that's a pretty steep bar you have to climb. You have to make a lot of adjustments. There are a lot of adjustments that the Enzo's is going to have to make just to get to a 110 WRZ plus in which he just becomes an average defender. And on a team where, you know, you have a guy like Drew Gilbert who might come up at some point next year, Luis Angel Acuna could throw himself in the mix. Having an open DH spot is going to be useful, right? If they like Ronnie Mauricio, who has has shown a lot of flashes early on and has that versatility in the infield, I I, I think they've kind of ditched the outfield experiment, so I'm, I'm not going to throw that out there. But, um, you know, if you want to kind of organize your position player town around and, and they've kind of shuffled different guys around, you're going to have to work back Marte unless you trade him. But there is at least – I mean, I, I don't think it's imp- it's unreasonable to say Stalin Marte will be on the New York Mets on April 1st, 2024. So you want to have a DH spot open – Kind of looking at the other New York team, for an example here, having the DH spot clogged up hurts. It yeah. hurts 
a lot. It hurts you a ton. Let's look in their division. Phillies having that DH spot kills. It, it hurts that it's got like you have three guys who essentially need to DH right now. Harper on paper shouldn't have to, but coming back from Tommy John, but you have two guys who absolutely have to DH. And one of them is being more productive in Schwarber. Uh, Harper has hit all as hit. I'm not saying Harper hasn't been productive, but like Castellanos, for example, you want him to be the DH because he absolutely can't field, but you also don't want to play him over Schwarber because Schwarber's the better hitter. So Castellanos kind of becomes just he's you're you just set 20 million dollars a year on fire and you have a position player uh a, a spot in your lineup that's kind of set on fire as well where you got to be like all right left field we're gonna have unplayable defense out there and city field's not it's not an easy ballpark to play the outfield you know infield defense is obviously super valuable so you can't just throw a guy in like right field it's not yankee stadium where you can put matt carpenter on a broken foot in right field and hope it works i don't know i don't think vientos i, I just don't think vientos is going to provide enough value outside his bat to stick. And I don't think he's ever going to become a good enough hitter to overcome that. Yeah. I, I just think there are some questions about hit, just the way he is as a hitter. Like his approach is just not there yet. No, again, still just 23. He can, he can make the adjustments, but I'm going to have to say that I, I, I'm not out on him, but it, it's going to be a hard sell for me. Our next take comes from Dillard Barnhart or, or at the barn has spoken. Uh, he said, Yandy Diaz is the most underrated hitter in baseball. Now, Dillard is a big Yandy Diaz guy. He, he's put out a bunch of content about Yandy Diaz, so he, he is a big fan. Now, I'm going to read out two slash lines, and I want you to figure out who's who. All right, so one slash line is 277, 384, 603, and the other is 320, 401, 502. Who do you think those guys are? I know one of them is Yandy Diaz. Like I, I feel yeah, like okay. Um, is Freddie Freeman one of those? No. Um, this is like you're right. You have the right position though. They're both first okay. Base. Um, Matt Olson. Yep. Matt Olson has a 158 WRC plus, and Yandy Diaz has a 155. Yandy Diaz is a great hitter. Like just objectively speaking, he is a great hitter. Um, now. I'm going to disagree that he's the most underrated hitter in baseball, though, because I think a guy on his team is more underrated than him, and that's uh, Isaac Paredes. That guy mashes. He's got a 141 WRC+, plus, 255, 355, 506, has 29 home runs this year. Um, what a God, what a great trade for the Rays, man. Like just, But everybody at the time was just like, what, what is this? But I think Yanni Diaz is easily, I think he is underappreciated and underrated, but I wouldn't say he's the most underrated hitter in baseball. Um, but I think you'd also make an argument for somebody like Christian Walker might be in that conversation. He's got a 125 WRC plus um, that he 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 kind of belongs in there as well. Uh, J.P. Crawford has a 131 WRC plus. Going back to our bat speed conversation, good for J.P. Crawford. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think Yandy Diaz of the Tampa Bay Rays really has a, really has a case here um, to be one of the most underrated hitters in baseball, but my personal pick is probably Paredes. I, I, I think that guy, he just rakes, man. Like he can absolutely mash a baseball. Diaz has a, I understand wanting to go with Diaz though a little bit because he is a better hitter. That's certainly, certainly the case. Um, and he kind of plays a weird role for the Rays. He's been their leadoff guy and he has zero stolen bases. 
but he, I mean, he's got a 401 on base percentage. He gets on base. Like he just finds a way to get on base. He is also having the best year of his career. Like, like gotta give him props. I remember when he was kind of like a prospect, younger guy, people were like, yeah, he, he can really hit, he can hit the, you know, smoke out of the ball, but he puts it on the ground all the time, which he still does. Um, but I don't think people are going to care that much when he's got a 155 WRC plus. So yeah, I, I'm kind of in support of this, that he's certainly in, up there on the rankings. He's a great hitter, man. I thoroughly enjoy watching him hit. I am in lockstep with you. I, I, I would say I would pick him as the most underrated because I think he's clearly an elite hitter who doesn't get the credit of an elite hitter. I'm not saying Paredes isn't underrated. I, I think he is as well. I think underrated subjective. Like it depends on who you talk to as well. I mean, right. think of how many people talk about baseball. Like if you, if you're talking to a certain circle, you'll walk away with the impression that certain guys are underrated that maybe aren't. If I had to pick like most underrated player, I'm picking James Outman. Uh, James Outman is good at everything. He has plus eight uh, defensive runs on uh, according to Statcast run value. And he's doing it in center field plus three in base running value. 121 WRC plus big strikeout guy, which like fine. It's the Dodgers. Like I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to trust them to get this thing. Right. Um, He does a lot. Well, like he, he, he doesn't chase too much. He has a lot of sweet spots. You're not going to worry about like a dip in batting average that you don't expect or there. I think there are certain guys who are like, they're big barrel guys, but they lack in terms of like barrel accuracy or whatever. He's got incredible bat speed. I think Jay, I know he's 26, so like this is kind of what he is. I don't think he's going to take a massive leap next year, but it's certainly possible. If James Outman's a 120 WRC plus guy with great defense and great base running, I mean, that's kind of like a everyday all star caliber center fielder. And I feel like he's just kind of like no one really talks about it, but I, I, I get why Corbin Carroll exists and that NL Rookie of the Year race is over. It's kind of like being, it's kind of like the Corey Seager situation, obviously not having as good of a year, but it's like, man, I, do you really care about the AL position player situation when Shohei Otani's, he won the award in June? You know what I mean? Um, Correct. So yeah, I, I think Yanni Diaz is the most underrated hitter, but I want to throw Outman in there as like an underrated kind of guy. Yeah, I, I really like James Outman. Also, again, Sac State, Sacramento, let's go. Two weeks in a row, we're mentioning Sacramento. Man, I'm, I'm we're, we're killing it there. Uh, moving on, our final take is from a uh, friend of the pod, Bobby, at IV Down 12. He says, Blake Snell belongs nowhere near the Cy Young conversation. For the love of all that is <laughs> all that is good, a team needs to hang a seven spot on him to end this nonsense. <laughs> Bobby's a Dodgers fan, for one. So uh, a little bit of a little bit of bias in that statement, I think. Just 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 a tiny little tad. It's okay, Bobby. I know you're gonna listen to this and I still love you, but a little bit of bias. Um, I don't agree that he belongs nowhere near it. Like I, I, again, he's got a 2.52 ERA in 161 innings. Like objectively speaking, as much as I don't like his case, he does belong relatively in the conversation. Now, here's what's interesting about Snell's case is that it was like, he does have the lowest ERA in baseball. That's no longer true anymore. Uh, Justin Steele has fired, I think, 15 innings of one run ball across his last two starts and is down to a 2.49 ERA, which is now the lowest in baseball in just two less innings than Blake Snell with two less starts than Blake Snell. So Justin Steele has climbed up the NL Cy Young ladder. Um, 
this is just a I'm, we're using this tweet as basically an excuse to once again discuss the NL Cy Young race, which is just confounding. But basically, everybody but Steven Strider had a good start this past week, um, and that has made the case just that much more difficult. Um, so. At the top of the leaderboard, you have Zach, Justin Steele, who I just said, you know, he's been dominating for the Cubs. You know, he does have a 2.49 ERA, 2.92 FIP, 4.7 Fangraphs war. Um, that is one win less than Zach Wheeler, but he does also have, you know, 11 less innings than him. So he's certainly pitching better than him on a rate basis, but he does have 11 less innings in, than him in one less start. So Wheeler does have a bit of an advantage in terms of the innings. Um, there and his innings per start. Um, but he does have a whole run on him in the ERA category, which is, you know, for a lot of voters, very important. Um, Logan Webb, who went six shutout against the Colorado Rockies last night for the Giants, uh, has a 3.40 ERA, a 3.29 FIP, a 3.0 XFIP, and I think a like 3.22 Sierra, which is third in all of baseball. But he does also lead baseball in innings. He's made 30 starts this year and has 193 innings. That's almost six more innings than Zach Gallen and Garrett Cole, who have 30 starts each. So Logan Webb's been a workhorse, and that's pretty damn important. And he's got a relatively reasonable ERA as well. Um, so, you know, his case is complicated. Zach Gallen probably made the you know most of his opportunity this week after two rough starts in a row. He went out there and threw a shutout against the Cubs, you know, to give him and the Diamondbacks a, a, a really big win in the NL wildcard race. Gallon's back at a 3.31 ERA, a 3.26 FIP, a 3.51 uh, XFIP. He also has a 4.7 Fangrass War, which is the same as Justin Steele. Logan Webb has a 4.1 Fangrass War, which is much lower than those guys. Um, I'm not going to look at baseball reference war because I, I, I'm sorry, I just I can't do it. I can't stand that metric saying that pitchers are responsible for all runs is just no i can't do it so i'm not going to include it um steven uh sorry not steven spencer strider still has a case here he also has a 4.7 fangrass war and he has it in roughly the same amount of innings as justin Steele. but he's starting to approach that you know uh blake snell territory where he just doesn't have the innings per start to like get that kind of love for me that's partially because his last start was so short and that kind of ruined it a little bit but we were talking about this amongst some people and just striders were just prone to blow-ups because of his two-pitch mix essentially he has a changeup that he's been working on throwing a little bit more but essentially just if strider doesn't have one of his pitches mainly his slider he's just kind of out there throwing batting practice to these guys and so they take advantage of that um it would be tough for me to see Strider coming back and winning this thing at this point. He would pretty much have to throw three shutouts the rest of the way to get there, and that's just not what he does. So I don't think I can do it. Blake Snell is still not in my top five. To be clear, I do agree with Bobby on that. But I don't know. I I said Logan Webb last week. I feel like I'm still inclined to kind of stick there, but Zach Wheeler, Zach Gallen, Justin Steele, all have really good cases here and I'm still not comfortable picking. I am going to sit here and say, Bobby, I hope you're being biased because I agree, dude, Blake Snell. I'm sorry. I just, no, 
No, like I, you can't, you, we cannot give a guy with a 13.7% walk rate that doesn't have like a 40% strikeout rate and doesn't pitch deep into games. We cannot allow this guy to win the signing award. It would be sacrilegious. I can, you know, uh, man, I hope I need to get the exact at here because you, you know, what Mario, uh, D Gen Z G Z. Yeah. We need, you know, he, I think, I think he kind of foresaw this. We're we're losing workhorses, man. We're we're losing the value of this, man. I, I don't yeah, know. He I, was he was ahead of the curve on that take. We we can't we cannot allow a guy who who struggles to get through the fifth inning to win the Cy Young. We cannot allow it. We it just it cannot happen. The pitching pitching is so much like I, I I can't I can't give it to him. I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, for like an analytical reason. I, I mean, Justin Steele's a lower ERA and similar innings pitched. If you want to give it to the ERA guy, give it to Justin Steele. If you want to give it to the guy who has the most the, the the most innings pitched, give it to Logan Webb. If you want to give it to the guy with the best peripherals, give it to Steven Strider. If you want Spencer to give it to Strider. the guy or Spencer. Man, I don't know. Dude, I do it too. I don't understand it's why. It's so weird. Uh, and then, uh, you know, if you want the best blend, Logan Webb also fits for that. Zach Gallen, Zach Wheeler, right? Like those are your kind of guys. In no way is 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 Blake Snell the forefront of any category of the Cy Young, right? The, the he doesn't win the 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 strikeouts to walk rate stuff. He doesn't win the ERA stuff either. He doesn't have the innings. If he did this on two, like 180 innings, I'd say, "Okay, well the walks are strategical so that he can, can you know, attack a different guy and pitch deeper into games." I can respect that. But like I respected Sandy Alcantara despite, you know, not great strikeouts to walk rates because it was clear real selective. Garrett Cole this year, we had this conversation regarding stuff plus and and strikeouts to walk rates. He's 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 saving his bullets. He's being selective. He's trying to pitch deep into the games. That's why he's sacrificing a little bit in that regard. Blake Snell walks guys because he doesn't know where the strike zone is. Blake Snell doesn't pitch deep into games because he walks everybody. I'm sorry. It's, it, I can't give it to him. It, you don't get the most outs. You don't have the best run prevention. And you don't have the best peripherals. Not even close. I hate I – don't, I, don't, I particularly am not a huge fan of the statistic whip, which is walks plus hits per you know, for inning pitched, essentially. But just to put in perspective where some of the other Cy Young candidates are. So – Zach Wheeler has a 1.05 whip. Uh, Logan Webb has a 1.08 whip. Zach Gallon has also has a 1.08 whip. Justin Steele has a 1.13 whip. Spencer Strider has a 1.09 whip. Blake Snell has a 1.25 whip. So even if you're a fan of the st statistic whip, which I feel like some people are, Snell's nowhere close. Like, Point one less than you know the second lowest guy, which is Justin Steele. That's a significant gap. And then you just add in the fact he's just not working that deep into games. I don't know, man. Like I just I can't I can't do it for Blake Snell. I said I said it last week and I'll say it again this week. I I do not envision a world where I can include Blake Snell in my top five. Um, and it will it will remain that way. I'm I'm sorry. He, I don't think he's the front runner anymore. I think Justin Steele has emerged as the front runner now. Um, I do think that we're doing Zach Wheeler and Logan Webb kind of dirty, that they need to be a little bit more included in that conversation. But, you know, again, it's a tough award. There's a lot of really good cases. Um, but, yeah, I, I tend to agree, generally speaking, that, like, I just I can't include Blake Snell in the top five. Is he worthy of a conversation? Absolutely. Again, the guy has a 2.52 ERA. Like, if you really value that, sure, I understand why he's in the conversation. I just don't agree. I can't. And I can't get myself there. I don't think I will 
ever be able to look at a guy with a 13% walk rate and say, yeah, that guy should be in this high up conversation. If something now, maybe that's the lowest in the league. And if we ever get there, I think I'm, I think I might puke, but like, uh, right now, no, I just, I, I just don't see it. It, it doesn't really make sense for me. Um, God, I, I hate this award. It's going to drive me crazy. Like every day it changes. Every time there's a start made, the ladder changes. I can't, I can't make up my mind. I feel like I'm still going to go with Webb here though. I, I, it's just a significant gap in the volume um, with the numbers being really close to Gallon um, that I, I can't really, I can't give it to Gallon. And I don't think Wheeler, Strider and Steele have been better enough to overlook that gap but it's close like i I fully admit that it's close i don't like this word it's gonna drive me insane i it's no no one there are gonna be a lot i think the 60 percent of baseball fans will be unhappy with the winner and i don't blame them like it's not like in previous years where it was like last year sandy ran away with it like just completely it was his and nobody came close um year prior it was wheelers burns and that was really tough that was a hard decision to make because there were good arguments both ways and there were a lot of people upset when burns won and that made sense because the case was so close um 2020 people were upset for an entirely different reason um and we won't go too deep into why that was but in recent years i just we haven't so we had sandy in 2022 but since then, I'm, I'm, you look back on previous years, and there hasn't been like a runaway winner, and which is good because that means that there's a lot of really good pitchers out there. But it's also, I guess, since Degrom as well. Um, but you know, it's it's it doesn't make it you know <laughs> fun to, to write and discuss about because you just have no idea where it's going to go. I mean, if I actually had a vote, I don't know what I would do. Like, I'd be I'd be up at night thinking about this and everything like that. So. It's definitely going to be curious to see where it goes. Um, as always, Ryan, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, thank you to everybody who listened. Um, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we hope to hear from you soon and hope to see you soon and have a great week. Thank you.